Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So Richard. Yeah. <laughs> so all morning, <laughs> I've been walking around the house humming that old Tom Petty song, you know, You Got Lucky, Babe. And I was thinking, why am I singing this song? And then I realized it's because we're going to interview Janice Kaplan today, who's just written a book about luck. Making luck happen. Janice Kaplan. The unlucky people tend not to notice opportunities that are put right in front of them. You know, leave a $20 bill on the ground and the lucky person walks in and goes, oh, look, I found a $20 bill. And the unlucky person walks in and doesn't see it. The definition of of luck that we used is that luck occurs at the intersection of random chance, talent, and hard work. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix it? it? How do we fix it? Luck favors the prepared mind. Fortune's expensive smile is earned. Those sayings from the French scientist Louis Pasteur and American poet Emily Dickinson came from the 19th century, but both hold true today. There's a difference between luck and random chance. So often, it also involves talent, hard work, and timing. How luck happens using the science of luck to transform work, love, and life is the name of a brand new book by Janice Kaplan. She wrote it with Barnaby Marsh, an expert on risk-taking. Janice was at our table a couple of years ago on How Do We Fix It, talking about the gratitude diaries and the many benefits of being grateful. Welcome back. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So, Janice... I feel like we need a new name for the word luck. Uh, And if not that, certainly a new understanding, because it's a lot more than simple chance, isn't it? Right. And and the fun of writing this book was really turning the concept of luck on its head. Uh, Because I think most of the time when you think about luck, you think about random chance. And what we were looking at was really how you create your own luck. And there is an element of random chance in it. But as you suggested at the beginning, there are a lot of other things. So the definition of, of luck that we used is that luck occurs at the intersection of random chance, talent and hard work. Now, there's a figure in your book that really caught my eye, 82% of people in a survey in the U.S. thought that they have some influence over the luck in their lives. What are they thinking exactly? 
I think they are thinking correctly um, that they do have influence over their lives. Uh, When I said talent as being part of the uh, equation of luck, I don't mean that you have to be Meryl Streep or Beyonce, though that certainly wouldn't hurt. But talent includes a whole pot of other things, of being able to recognize opportunities, of being optimistic, of thinking that you can go out and change something, of seeing possibilities, of thinking into the future and laying out things for a good future to happen. So, yeah. Yeah, if you start to do those things, if you put those elements in place, you really can control your own luck. So those those people were exactly right. You know what luck is. Luck is believing you're lucky. That's all. Uh, that quote from Stanley Kowalski in A Streetcar Named Desire. What role does optimism or a positive attitude play to, to making luck happen? Yeah, I love that quote because it was said sort of cynically, but it's actually true. Um, Because if you believe that you can make something happen, you're much more likely to do it. We spoke to um, Dr. Martin Seligman, who is the famed uh, professor of psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, who's pretty much the father of positive psychology, who, by the way, told us how incredibly negative he normally is as a person. (laughs) Um, But he said that um, if he were going to pick the one trait for a lucky person. If he were going on a spaceship and he had to bring one lucky person along with him, the number one trait he would look for would be optimism. And it's because if you luck comes in cascades, and if you think you're lucky, you're going to go out and do the things that will make you lucky. Because as we've just said, it's not random chance. It's so many of the things that you put into it. In several parts of the book, you mentioned that luck is not a zero-sum game. And I, I was thinking about this with with trade. This, this might be a, a tenuous connection, but I'll, I'll try it. I'll go ahead with it. And Donald Trump, when he's been speaking about trade, seems to think that trade's a zero-sum game, that, I, that one guy wins and the other guy loses. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that so many people are locked into this concept of zero-sum thinking. Uh, Can you talk about that as it relates to luck? Right. I think it's very important that it's not if I win, you lose. In fact, quite opposite with luck. So, you know, when when you have luck and you share luck and you give it to other people, uh, you're expanding the amount of luck in the world. There's not a finite amount of luck in the world. And if I get some, you can't. We can all help each other. We can all help each other grow and expand. Um, Whether that's true with trade or not, I do think it is. But uh, (laughs) that's outside my field. So it seems like a lot of our... uh, Uh, notions of luck come from games of chance. It was very different in other fields of human endeavor. But don't you think sometimes we're we're stuck with these simplistic notions of um, of how how luck functions? Yes, very much so. And people, when you say luck, immediately think of the lottery, which I think is actually a terrible example of luck because that is absolutely random chance. You can't change those odds. We were talking about changing the odds before. You can't change those odds um, unless you buy, you know, a million tickets. Um, But um, it's not a great example of the kind of luck that we're talking about where you do have an input where you can change things and set things up differently. And by the way, luck is also not a one-time event. And winning the lottery does not necessarily lead to a lucky life. And a lucky life is what we should be looking at. I think something like 90% of the people who win the lottery a couple of years later end up either broke or unhappy. You wrote this book in partnership with 
Barnaby Marsh. He's a researcher at Princeton's Institute for Advanced Study. So it's a partnership between a mainstream writer and an academic researcher. It reminds me a little bit about the relationship between Stephen Dubner and economist Stephen Levitt that produced Freakonomics. What was that relationship like, and how did you meet Barnaby? Well, I do hope it becomes Freakonomics, so thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for that comparison. If you're lucky, it might have a publishing Similar yeah. to Freakonomics. <laughs> uh, Barnaby was actually uh, running the John Templeton Foundation um, when we first met, and I had a grant from Templeton uh, for my last book, uh, The Gratitude Diaries, and uh, we had become friends after that. Barnaby was a Rhodes Scholar, an incredibly smart guy. He, he left Templeton, and we were just having lunch one day, and he said to me, so what's your next project going to be? And I said, you know, I've been thinking thinking about luck. I've been thinking since gratitude, I've been thinking about other things that we think are sort of outside our control, but that might actually be in our control. And he said, wow, do you know, um, when I was a Rhodes Scholar, I wrote about risk-taking and that's sort of an aspect of luck. Want to do this book together? And that was it. <laughs> we just we just did. And I sort of, the, the book is written in my voice and my tone, and I used Barnaby as my, as my guide uh, through it. Jim, you're you're the you're the risk taking guy. Yeah. So, you're writing a book about risk. So right. so how did what you learned from Janice inform you? Well, this is interesting to me, partly because I got involved in some very risky activities as a young person, as a as a rock climber, an ice climber, and mountaineer, and surrounded by people who took a lot of risks on in their lives and thought it normal. These are very optimistic people. So I've also seen the downside of risk. You know, if you're an over optimistic back country skier, you're going to get get killed. A little pessimism sometimes can be a lifesaver. What did you learn about how smart people balance that, uh, that tendency towards optimism and belief in the future with what might be a certain uh, well-considered caution? Well, interestingly, you don't have to be a big risk or big risk taker to be lucky. Um, we found that some of the most successful people, particularly in business, actually put a floor under themselves. Um, and it looks like they're taking big risks, but they've got it figured out and they know what they're trying to do where they're trying to go and they have something set so that if it doesn't work they can only fall so far not a bad idea if you're a rock climber also so they sort of set the table beforehand so it might look like they're taking a plunge but they've done perhaps years of work in the the, you know the business they're launching or they 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 have some kind of hedge so that their exposure isn't complete exposure being a great word from the world of climbing it means when you look down between your feet and there's nothing there yeah. <laughs> well exactly they very much do and we have this mythology in America that especially for entrepreneurs that you have to be all in right you have to put yourself 100% Mortgage into something right you know they're all the great stories we hear i was down to my last dime and if it didn't happen that day i was you know going to be homeless on the street it turns out not to be true. Um, and usually people do have a backup plan. And so often the most successful people, yeah, they're going all in on on project A, but maybe they've got project B waiting there or they, they have something else that they know that they're going to be able to G- do. G- give us an example of that. 
for example, the Warby Parker guys uh, who who started the eyeglass online eyeglass company. And, yeah, that's uh, an extraordinary company. Right, and it's done extraordinarily well. They were at Wharton at the time, and uh, Adam Grant, the uh, young and now famous professor at Wharton, tells the story of these guys coming to him and presenting their idea, and his asking them the questions that he thought were important for an entrepreneur. You know, do you have summer internships? And they said yes, and he thought, hmm, then you're not really serious about this company. Are you applying for jobs for after you graduate? And they all said yes, and he said, oh, then you're not serious about this company, and are you putting your own money into it? Well, not really. Hmm, okay, I'm not investing with you guys. And um, guess what? Warby Parker has gone on to be a hugely successful company, worth of a vast fortune, and and uh, Adam jokes that now his wife makes the investment decisions. Um, and he says what he learned from that is that... That his idea that no, you can't have a backup plan, you can't be reasonable to be a success as an entrepreneur was simply wrong. Talk about one of the world's most famous business executives, Mark Zuckerberg, and uh, how uh, his lesson about risk affected uh, what you wrote. Well, he picked up and moved to Silicon Valley uh, right. when he, he had He started, an idea. actually, Jim and I both met in, in Westchester County, New York, uh, and uh, Mark Zuckerberg came from the neighboring town. Yeah, Dobbs, he grew up in Dobbs Ferry, New York. So when he was in college and he was just getting the company started, he didn't move home for the summer. He moved to Palo Alto, right? Right. And, and that's something where you really need to sometimes go where luck can find you. If you're going to stay home, if you're going to stay close to mom and dad, there's a good chance you're not going to put yourself in the place where luck can find you. Yeah. And Zuckerberg was a, was a Harvard University student who came up with this idea of, of Facebook being an online example of a, like a college yearbook, right? Well, exactly. And, and when he moved to Silicon Valley, it was very much a story of somebody introduced him to somebody who introduced him to somebody. And it was Reed Hoffman to Peter. Teal, um, and and eventually he got the investments. Now, if he had been anywhere else, those investments wouldn't have happened. You talk about the power of weak connections. You know, people think about networking and and getting in touch with close friends, but sometimes people you barely meet, a friend of a friend of a friend, can be crucial as that case. And one of your experts says has the mantra. Go to every party. I like that advice. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, and he's a billionaire philanthropist, so uh, it, it's good advice. And sometimes you need to make yourself go and do the things that you wouldn't necessarily do. Um, and uh, sociologists use the phrase, the strength of weak ties, which I think is a wonderful oxymoronic phrase. But the strength of weak ties is that those people who aren't necessarily in your immediate circle know people and know opportunities that you don't. Your closest friends all know the same friends that you do. Yeah, there's this great mention of Wayne Gretzky, the, the hockey player in your book, who talked about skating to where the puck will be. And actually, there's another example of that. I, I'm a Premier League football or soccer fan, and there's this player that I lo love watching, Harry Kane, and he's a forward for the Tottenham Hotspurs. And, you know, he scores an incredible number of goals. And one of the biggest reasons is not because he has a better, you know, shot than the other guys do. It's that he's where he should be uh, at the moment where, you know, just before he scores the goal. Exactly right. It, being where the puck or the ball or luck can find you is really important. And Gretzky talks about how his dad, when he was just a little kid, his dad would teach him this sort of mantra of hockey. And, and it would be that when, you, when you're looking at the puck, you're looking at the guy who already has it, right? And you think, I want to get that puck. So you start going towards the guy who has it. By the time you get to him, he's already passed it to somebody else. So it was don't go where the puck has already been, go where the puck will be. 
I'm going to ask a question that Jim had wished that he would ask because he's usually the skeptic on this show. And the skeptic in me is saying, okay, you talk to a lot of really successful and quote unquote lucky people. Did you talk to any unlucky people? Well, you know, we were very aware that the danger is that you look at people who have been successful and then you create the narrative for how they got there. Um, no, we didn't actually talk to unlucky people, but but that research has been done elsewhere. And uh, there's a, a researcher in uh, the UK named Richard Wiseman who has done research on lucky versus unlucky people. And one of the things he has found is that the unlucky people tend not to notice opportunities that are put right in front of them. You know, he'll leave a $20 bill on the ground and the lucky person walks in and goes, oh, look, I found a $20 bill. And the unlucky person walks in and doesn't see it. And um, surprisingly enough, uh, it is how we pay attention. It's what we're willing to see. And when you're unlucky, you tend to be focused in yourself. You tend to be sure nothing is going to happen. When you're feeling lucky, when you're feeling positive, you're much more expansive in what you see. You, you asked if, if we spoke to any unlucky people. Well, actually, a lot of people who are now lucky at some point felt unlucky. And I'll tell you one quick example, which is that there's a, uh, a writer we spoke to who had become a writer only because he lost his job as a TV producer. Uh, <laughs> that, is, that, is that Lee Child? That is Lee Child. Oh my yes. goodness. My wife will, will thank you for raising that. Right. And you know, Jack Reacher is one of her favorites. Well, uh, I love characters. the Jack Reacher books and I actually love Lee. And when he told me the story, it was that, you know, he'd had this job. He thought he was going to be a TV producer director forever. Company changed hands. He got fired. He had a wife. He had a kid. He had a mortgage. He had a car to pay for. He was really unhappy. He was furious. How much more bad luck can strike you? But he decided at that point to see if he could take it as an opportunity. And so he'd always wanted to be a writer. He sat down and started writing. So, you know, you don't know when you've lost your job that you're going to end up being an internationally famous best-selling writer whose books are turned into movies starring Tom Cruise. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And we're talking with Janice Kaplan. Her new book is called How Luck Happens, Using the Science of Luck to Transform Work, Love, and Life. So another one of our guests on How Do We Fix It? Author Ed Glazer wrote about the triumph of the city and, and making connections easier by perhaps being in a more intense environment. 
It's a bit like the Mark Zuckerberg example you gave. Right. And um, we actually talked to a, uh, a professor at Cornell named Victor Nee, who has done a huge amount of work in that and in what makes lucky environments and in why New York City has been such a great font for, uh, for startup companies. And it is very much that, that things are close and people are close. Hey, I want to talk to you guys. I happen to live across town. That's really easy to get to you. When Victor uh, has an apartment in New York City, when, when we wanted to meet to interview him, he was walking his dog in Central Park. He said, come meet me in Central Park. So yes, there is something very true about there being these centers of possibility and opportunity and luck-making areas. You talked about the way that risk is usually understood. There's a 5% chance of a risk of this or that. And we sometimes use that to shape behavior. But you say, in certain cases, it's possible to move the bell curve of risk and success. And you gave this really interesting example of, you know, we've all heard the statistics about co-sleeping with infants, that they're more likely to die of sudden infant death syndrome or some other problems. And well, uh, this is like parents sleeping or the, with, yeah, parents sleeping with their children in their with, bed, with, with babies the, in the bed, yeah, infants in yeah. the bed. And it's something most new parents want to do, but then they're told it's really dangerous. And you say it's not so simple. Yeah, that was Barnaby's uh, position, and I found it really interesting. Um, He has two little tiny kids, uh, who are, I think, about two and six now. And when Mandarin, his older daughter, was born, he wanted her to sleep in the bed with mom and dad. And his wife, Michelle, thought that was just a terrible idea, citing the statistics that you are of the dangers and the increased risk of death. So Barnaby, being an academic, looked at it a little more deeply, and he found out that the causes tended to be if parents were intoxicated, if parents were overweight, if they were of low education for whatever reason, if they were sleeping on squishy mattresses or on a waterbed. They had excessive numbers of blankets. And he ticked through the things that seemed to be directly related. And he said, we don't have those risks. So we each have to make those determinations. But I think that idea of changing the numbers and recognizing the odds, let me give you just one other quick example on that, which is that we all know that one out of three people are overweight, right, or obese. There are three of us sitting here, one of us is not obese. But that's because you can change the odds. If you decide to, you know, eat well and eat lots of fruits and vegetables and go out running, you're going to change the odds. So we get, um, you know, we get very scared of numbers. And I like that idea of being able to change Although, although in in fairness, some people are much more likely genetically predisposed to to be obese than others. Absolutely. But once again, um, maybe maybe the odds are one in two if you're genetically disposed or whatever they may be. You can again change those odds. We've been very lucky on our show. We've had a lot of both wise and smart guests sitting at the table, you among them, Janice. And, and one of them, Mark Earls, a British marketing guy who's been with us a couple of times. And his great argument is other people influence us more than we think, that we often act on herd instincts rather than having individual ideas about what to do. Can we boost our chances of luck by hanging out with the right people? Oh, absolutely. And um, and I think also you boost your chances of luck by knowing what you want. So you can hang out with those right people who can who can help you get it. Uh, we spoke to one woman who talks about uh, who runs groups where she has what she calls luck circles. So she'll be at a business conference and she'll have people break into small groups of maybe five people where they each tell each other 
what their goal is, what they want, where maybe it's a job that they're looking for or something very specific, not I'm looking for a happy life, but I'm looking for a job at a nonprofit that helps, uh, you know, helps with nutrition or something like that. And then those people expand into a larger group. And as she likes to say, you're walking around with five people's luck goals in your pocket. And over and over again, she finds that then somebody somehow knows somebody who says, oh, absolutely, I have a friend who's at that nonprofit that you're interested in. Give me your number and I'll put you in touch. Janice, in addition to being a former magazine editor, as I can relate to, you've also worked as a TV producer. And one thing I liked about the book was a lot of your examples come from the worlds of, of television entertainment. In particular, you talked to the movie producer Doug Wick, and he talked about this concept of moving the bell curve. We know that a certain number of movies are going to succeed wildly. A certain number are going to fail dramatically. A lot of the middle are going to do okay. That's the heart of the bell curve. But his idea is that with certain kinds of preparation, you can nudge that whole bell curve a little bit in one direction or the other. Right. Um, And, you know, people in Hollywood believe in luck a lot because sometimes things seem so random. You put Matt Damon in a movie and you may end up with, you know, the the Bourne uh, series and and make bazillion dollars on it. Or you may end up with one of the disasters that he's had. And he has had a couple of disasters. So people are talking that conversation with Jennifer Lawrence today. You know, one of the biggest stars latest movie's a bomb. It just goes to show, as William Goldman said, nobody knows anything. Right, in Hollywood. I think that's, <laughs> that's absolutely right. true. But when I, after I spoke to Doug, who was a fabulous producer and a great guy, I, I, I brought that example back to Barnaby and I said, so does that suggest that maybe we're wrong and that you can't influence luck enough? And he came up with the idea of that bell curve, you know, picture a bell curve and then picture, he said, okay, so now you put Matt Damon in the movie and you move the whole bell curve to the right. Another previous guest. I want to mention. Is, is we're Le- really gone the previous Yeah, we today. are. We are. Lenore Skenazy, who, who makes the case that we're overprotecting our children and not subjecting them to enough risk and challenging them to, to be stronger. Um, is it possible that we're teaching our children to be, to be passive, to feel that success and failure aren't really under their control? Yeah, I think uh, I did. We do have a chapter on how to make lucky kids. And um, I think one of the things you want to do, whether you're talking about toddlers or high schoolers, is really give them a sense of the possibilities in the world. And, um, you know, you can start with, with the tiniest child, letting them realize the, the influence that they have over something. I was, I was talking to somebody who has a baby and, you know, the baby's shaking a rattle. And I said, that baby needs to learn that there's a reason that rattle's making a sound, and it's because he's shaking it. And, you know, that sense of what I do has an effect on the world is just so important. I want to bring on another guest. Who, 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 <laughs> I want to come who, back with all who, of these guests, by wrote the way. A book, who wrote a book called The Gratitude Diaries. <laughs> <laughs> and when you were with us last, Janice, one of the things you talked about was the practice of gratitude mm-hmm. and how being being grateful and, and realizing your luck and, and, and perhaps discounting anger really led to better results. Um, how does gratitude relate to your latest book, How Luck Happens? Well, I think it's a very much, they are very interrelated. And I think that if you recognize how lucky you are, if you recognize the opportunities you have, if you feel positive about things, you're going to be able to make things happen. And um, once again, I I like the idea of when I wrote about gratitude, I realized that it wasn't the events 
that change our lives, but our attitudes towards them. And I think it's very much the same with luck. It's not the single event that's going to change your life, but what you're going to do with that event, what you're going to do with that possibility that lands in front of you, how you're going to see it, the positive way you're going to perceive it, and the way you're going to be able to move forward with it. Janice Kaplan, thanks very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Janice's book is How Luck Happens, Using the Science of Luck to Transform Work, Love, and Life. Good to be with you. Thank you. Well, somebody out there is not quite as lucky as we are, Jim. It's pretty clear from the, from the siren. So I wanted to start this conversation by saying something you probably disagree with, and that is that I believe that believing in God can bring you good luck. And this is something that a lot of people who don't believe in God probably don't get. And that, and, and, and here's, here's my argument, as, as obtuse as it may be, that, that those of us who believe in God pray And the act of prayer can really be a nice way to organize your thoughts for the week. And by having that moment of silence and reflective calm, actually, whether you believe in God or not, is actually really helpful. It's a good way to help you bring luck by being more organized. Okay, so you designated me the resident skeptic earlier, and I'm going to, I will push back. Okay. Um, As a skeptic, I'm not anti religion and i think there's some validity to what you're saying but it depends on how you believe in god and i mentioned earlier there's a there was actually a study of how people in different states respond to tornado warnings i wasn't just making that up no and they what they found is that people i think that was in the state of illinois were more likely to a believe they have more agency over the world that their own personal decisions affect how they respond to problems in the world. And those are the people who are more likely to really take active measures when there's a tornado warning. They also studied, I believe it was Arkansas, and they found that people were much likely to feel their fate was out of their hands, that they are just sort of a cork on the waters of fate. And when they received tornado warnings, they tended to say, well, maybe there's a tornado coming. It's God's will. Those people tend to be much more religious, perhaps in a traditional Right, sense. yeah, yeah. I um, mean, there is a big difference between fundamentalists and, and, and yeah, those of us who right. embrace doubt. Like I said, it but, depends on yeah, how. exactly. Um, and I'm not challenging their belief system, but yeah. I am citing a study yeah. that found differences in behavior that seem to be tied to religious belief. So uh, I'm, I would argue that... You might be right. It's, I think we need more data <laughs> to answer the question. But I would say whether you believe in God or not, you still have to believe that you personally can take an active role in either. Yeah. She's, you know, her book is mostly focused on the positive. Right. Um, you know, but but you're, you're raising that really important point that, that, that if we're simply fatalistic. Right. then that's certainly not a good way to, right. to nudge the bell curve. So she's focused on the positive. As somebody who who's studies risk and disaster, I tend to focus on the negative. You know, pilots who crash are often very optimistic people. <laughs> Sometimes a little skepticism, a little negativity is useful. But certainly not just trusting in luck. Sure, sure. And another interesting concept that Janice raises is, is zero sum, Mm -hmm. that luck is not zero sum, that you can expand your range of opportunities. I would say, I mean, through this whole conversation, I feel like we should put the word luck in quotes. When she says luck, she really doesn't mean luck. She doesn't mean randomness. She means 
organizing situations in life so you can take advantage of the little random bounces of the ball. But really, when she, what she calls luck is more like preparedness. So I feel like this zero-sum discussion is very much like that. I was interested you raised the whole idea of Trump's trade policy. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think this is the idea that you're either a winner and you're lucky or you're a loser. Right. And not see all the benefits of cooperation in trade. And that's what I find very alarming about this populist moment we're in because it does tend to define the world negatively, not to emphasize all the ways that the two parties or two countries can benefit from some kind of mutual exchange. It's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Eggs. And somehow we managed, you know, somehow we managed to drag it back to politics when Trump got in there. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. sneaks in when he, he least expected. He, he certainly does. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. The program is a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits and nonprofits. Uh, check us out at DaviesContent.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.